Welcome to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Uh, hey, before we get going tonight, I wanted to tell you it was appropriate that Russ and June Gordon did the uh, old scripture readings for us because they're launching a small group for Sunday nighters um, for, for married couples and married couples of all ages, from newlyweds to, you know, the good old seasoned vets. Um, but it starts, uh, it starts Wednesday, March 17th. And uh, we're gonna, yeah, there we go. Mar- begins Wednesday, March 17th, 6.45 to 9 p.m., uh, there will be child care provided courtesy of New Life. There's another couple in the church that's potentially going to join them and help them in leading this. And so it's going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, if, if you want info on this, because this is about to start in about 10 days, and you're thinking maybe you're, you're here and you're, you know, you're married and you're thinking, you know what, that would be kind of nice. They're going to work through um, a curriculum by Jimmy Evans called Marriage on the Rock. Is that right? And so anyway, Russ and June are going to be out at the info table at the back, which is uh, pretty much the only table besides co- the coffee table out there in the lobby. So go, go chat with them, go talk with them, they'll give you a little flyer and with their uh, phone number on it and contact information and all of that, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this night, thank you for your word. We ask that you would uh, open up our hearts as we listen to your, your, your word. Uh, we pray that you would speak and uh, give us ears to hear, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is week 10 in the Supernatural series. And if you're wondering how many weeks it's going to go, it's going to go at, at least one more week. We know that. And, uh, and we began, you know, I, I try to recap this just a little bit every week because it's such a huge thing that we catch this. We began by talking about our God who's, a, a, who's present in our situations, in our circumstances, a God who cares very deeply about our lives. And we don't, as Christians, believe in sort of this thing that we're here trying to be good and impress Him. And if we do good, then He'll look down and smile. No, we believe in a God that's broken into space and time. That even from the very beginning, we, we, I keep saying this, but I, I, I think it's so amazing that even from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, it's God who comes looking for them. And while other religions kind of are about humanity's search for God, the Jewish Christian story begins with God's search for humanity, that it's Him that has come after us. And of course, in the person of Jesus Christ, this is the, the, the pinnacle moment, the full revelation of God. It's, it's, it's God saying, okay, here I am breaking into your world fully. And Jesus introduced on the earth the kingdom of God. In other words, the way things are supposed to be. We all have this sense when we think about earthquakes or tragedy or disaster, we all have this sense that, look, all is not the way it's supposed to be. And God joins us in echoing that and says, yes, that's true. I agree. But look, I have done something about it. And look, Jesus has come to introduce his kingdom. And because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, we have this hope that God's work God's, God's story is not yet finished, that the culmination of all of this is coming one day. My daughter is waving to you. Don't mind her. She might like an audience. Um, takes after her mom, I'm sure. Um, 
But we have this sense that what Jesus began and what he introduced, the kingdom that came when Jesus was on the earth, is coming in its fullness when Christ comes again. And Jesus spoke of this. He talked about what happens in this age, and he talked about what would happen in the age to come. And so we find ourselves here saying, okay, well, we're in this in-between then. We know what's begun. We know what's started. We know, in C.S. Lewis's words, that the cure has begun. We know that the work of God is, is happening. But what do we do as the church? And so we've been talking about spiritual gifts for the last several weeks because this is how we become the church. This is how we are the church on the earth. And I want us to know right from the outset here that we're not, what we're not saying is, okay, now listen, God has done all this stuff for you, now the ball's in your court, it's your move, you know, go for it, good luck with this, hope you can do it. And I think sometimes the way we talk about it in church, we almost sort of feel like Jesus said, it is finished, and then went and sat down and then said, what you got? You know? And that's not at all the picture, because what Jesus did is he said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses, so that the kingdom, the rule of God can keep coming through you. And so that now wherever we go, we have the power of God inside of us to start reshaping the world to, uh, to, to, to be a little bit more like what it's supposed to be. More than that, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to reveal Jesus so that when the king comes, the world will recognize him. That's part of our role. So tonight we're talking about the gift of discerning of spirits, and um, this is kind of an exciting one, to be honest. I mean, I know, I know we have worked hard at, you know, helping us re realize that all the gifts are of the Holy Spirit, and they're all charismatic, and so let's, let's <laughs> before I get carried away, let's uh, do our, our working definition again. A spiritual gift is the Holy Spirit at work in us in a particular way to continue the work of Christ. This is not a privatized affair. This is not sort of, uh, you know, the spiritual version of what color is your parachute or, you know, kind of the, the Christian version of discovering yourself. Christianity is not about self-discovery. What it is about is it's about awakening to the reality of who God is. And so these gifts of the Spirit are not little things that we kind of practice and say, oh, cool, what do you got? What do you have? What do you, you know, wow, this is amazing. Isn't this neat? Yeah, I've kind of, I've kind of flowed in this one and I've kind of, you know, what this is about is about us being the church. And so when we talk about this, the spiritual gifts are not a private affair. It's not something that we've privatized that we can kind of practice. In fact, we've said this over the last several weeks. Our spiritual gift is God's gift to the whole church through the individual who has received it. In other words, what you have is not for you. It's for others. And this turns everything on its head because our culture says, get stuff, get more education, get a better job, get all this stuff so you can lift yourself up. And what the message of the kingdom is, freely you have received, now freely give. Everything that Christ has poured out into us through the Holy Spirit is not for you. <laughs> it's for each other. It's for us to be the body of Christ. So I, I, I think it's important to say that because it's very easy to kind of hear these talks and say, okay, well, let's see, how can I learn how to do that? And how can I, you know, that'll be another, you know, notch in my belt, whatever. That's certainly not our goal. But tonight, talking about the discerning of spirits uh, is an interesting um, subject. As I was thinking about this talk, I was trying to think of some, my first sort of encounter with the idea of discernment. And uh, I, I don't, you know... 
I'm going to tell you some stuff about my childhood here, and, and you can, uh, at the risk that your opinion of me will change unfavorably. Um, I, I grew up, you know, like I said, in Malaysia, and when I was 10 years old, we moved from Malaysia to America, and my parents tried to do a very good job of helping to protect us from the evil culture of the Western world. And, um, and, and so one of the things, one of the rules we had in my home was uh, no secular music. And uh, certainly that was a good rule, and, and, and I'm grateful for it to a degree. But as I got older, I, I remember I entered this competition to, you know, to come up with a name for the junior high youth group or something that we were part of in Portland. And, uh, and I won. I, you know, I came up with the name, and they chose my name. and uh, Not my name, but the name that I came up with. Yeah, they named the junior high group Glenn. Kind of, nobody came. I don't know why. Yeah. But uh, no, so, so anyway, the prize was this, was this cassette tape. This was the late 80s. And... Um, it was a cassette tape by a particular Christian rock band. And my parents were, were so conservative to the point where they were a little bit unsure about that. I mean, to my dad, Christian rock was still a bit of a contradiction in terms. You know, Christian rock, I don't know. You know this was, you know, anyway. So, so we had long discussions about it. And then shortly after that, all my friends had gotten this other Christian rock cassette tape by a band called Petra. Woo! And it was, uh, the, the cassette title was Beyond Belief, you know, there's a higher place. Anyway, I'll spare you. I'll spare you my Petra impersonation. Beyond, yeah. No, 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 Okay. All right, all right. So I had this conversation with my dad about what, you know, what we should do, and he was nervous about this because, you know, he, when he got saved, he got radically born again. He grew up in a Hindu home, and he grew up listening to Elvis and all this stuff. So when he got saved, it was like... You know, yeah, right. So <laughs> it, was all, it was all or nothing for him. And so it, it was a bit difficult uh, to, to think about the idea of Christian rock. And, and so, but to my dad's credit, he said, okay, look, you know, you're, I was about 12 years old at the time. And he said, okay, look, you're getting to be, you know, close to a teenage, uh, teenage age. And uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you listen to this cassette tape? And if you feel like it's leading you towards Jesus, if you feel like it's, developing your relationship with Christ, then okay. But if you feel like it's hardening your heart towards the Lord, then let's throw it out, you know? <laughs> what was I going to say? Of course I was going to say it's deepening my relationship with the Lord. You know, oh, Dad, this tape is really, you know. Anyway, the, the, the end of the story is I got to keep the Petra tape and became a huge Petra fan after that and all of that. But the point is, there is this stage in our maturity with Christ where we've got to learn how to discern how to discern what spirit is at work. Uh, wouldn't it be easy if the Bible was written like a rule book? Wouldn't it be easy if you just opened up and it said, hey, you know, here's your, here's your agenda for Monday mornings, you know, this is what you should eat for breakfast, this is how you should, you know, but it doesn't, there's a lot that's not there. And it, it, I think we have this mentality, and, and coming up in April, actually, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but coming up in April, I want to do a Sunday night talk. When, when there's a guest speaker Sunday morning, I can do this, but I'm going to do a talk in April about how to make sense of Scripture. Because we, we have this, this mentality that the Bible's supposed to be a rule book or a cookbook, and so we look for a list of rules, or we look for recipes for how we're supposed to do life, and then we all of a sudden find ourselves reading some story about Israel slaughtering another nation. We're like, oh my gosh, like, this isn't helping me. Like, what, do I, what does this mean for me when I'm in traffic on I-25, you know? <laughs> And the rage in my heart, you know. But I think what we need to understand is, look, these stories in the Bible are given to us so that we can see God and see God at work. 
And eventually, as we mature and as we grow, what we're supposed to develop by the Holy Spirit's work in us is this ability to discern. Because it's not always about, well, wait, wait, wait a second, is that strictly forbidden? I mean, does the Bible say you can't? Or does it, you know? Because if you live that way the rest of your life, there's lots of things that aren't wrong or aren't, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can't do. But the bottom line is, is this the Holy Spirit at work in you leading you to Jesus? Or is this something else? Is this another spirit at work, perhaps? Now, having said that, let me qualify it by saying that not every decision requires spiritual discernment, okay? Grape nuts or Cheerios? I don't think that, you know, there's not a Holy Spirit and a demonic spirit answer to that one, you know? Um, so, so, so not every decision in, in life is going to require this. However, there are some significant ones and significant moments. And you can think about different moments where you think, you know what, I would just love to sort of discern, is this the Lord at work or is this uh, something about me at work? Or is this even worse, is there something demonic at work? Now, that brings up this whole discussion. Demons, demonic spirits. Ooh, you know, what, what, is this real? Does this happen? I mean, do they exist? What does the Bible think about it? Certainly the men and women in the scriptures believed that they were demonic spirits. And not only did they believe it, they often saw it at work. Um, and I think it, it's, that's funny to us in our, you know, kind of scientific American worldview where it's like, well, look, everything has a cause and effect, and I'm sure there's some natural reason for that, and, and oftentimes there is. But we find ourselves sometimes swinging. Sometimes we say, oh, it's nothing, it's spiritual, it's just all, some, there's some physical explanation for that. Or we want to swing to the other side and say, oh, I bet there's a demon at work, or I bet that's a spirit of, you know, whatever. And I've, you know, growing up in the, in the so-called charismatic tradition, I've heard a fair number of um, made-up demon names, you know, the spirit of such and such. And I'm like, well, really, where'd you come up with that? It's like, how do you know that that's a spirit of, you know... Um, the spirit of injury or the spirit of, you know, scraped knees or something, you know, like, well, I, so, so we, we need, we've got to navigate this carefully because what we cannot do is kind of put our heads in the ground and say, wow, there's nothing, come on, that's just a bunch of old wives' tales. We can't do that because the Bible doesn't leave us that option. In fact, listen to some of these verses. First Peter 5, 8, this is Peter writing, obviously, and, uh, and he says this, he says, look, be self-controlled and alert your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I wonder if Peter was thinking about his own moment of weakness where he denied Christ. Do you remember before he denied Christ, Jesus said, look, Peter, Satan wants to crush you like wheat. Do you remember this? And you wonder if Peter's thinking, guys, let me tell you, Jesus tried to warn me that the devil was trying to crush me, and yet I gave in. So be alert, church. There is an enemy. Okay, this is what Peter maybe is saying. Second Corinthians, which is the second letter that Paul wrote, or, or well, okay, it could be the fourth letter, but it's the second letter that we have that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he says this, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's He's paralleling their current situation with Eve in the garden. And you know the story, right? The serpent comes and leads Eve astray. Well, who does the serpent sort of represent in the Genesis story? Satan. 
And so he's saying to them, okay, make this parallel here. Just as, this, as, as the, the enemy led Eve astray, so some of you as Christians, there's, there's the enemy still at work trying to lead you astray from your pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Over and over again tonight, all throughout this talk, you're going to see one very common thread. The work of demonic activity always leads us away from Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit always leads us to Christ. Well, that seems very simple. It's true. And there's a few other layers to this, but you'll see this thread throughout this. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Jeez. He's kind of saying, come on, guys. Wake up. Be alert to this. Don't, we can't pretend like we're just yeah, going about our business, and isn't this fine? I'll just try to be a better person. No, there's an enemy at work. So, okay, so maybe demons exist, and maybe demons are trying to influence and persuade and lead us astray and all of that. But, but Glenn, I mean, it, it, that all just sounds like judgment language. I mean, that all just sounds very judgmental, and uh, didn't Jesus say, judge not, and don't judge, you know, all this stuff. At some point, we could do a wonderful talk on judgment because here again is something that's it's a little bit misunderstood. Whenever Jesus says not to judge and whenever the, the New Testament writers pick it up, they're always talking about not judging a person's motives. You can't judge what's going on inside a person's heart. You can't judge a person's uh, eternal salvation. We don't really know their condition before God. But what we are told to judge is we're supposed to judge their fruit. Judge their works. Well, what is it that they're doing? Do you think that they're, what they're doing is right? Well, I don't know. I don't want to judge. No, you should. The other thing that we're told to judge is what about the spirits? And John says this in his letter. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. One of the commentaries I was studying this week suggested that discerning of spirits really pairs well with prophecy. So we talked about prophecy last week, and discerning of spirits is, is a very much a hand-in-glove sort of gift, because as you're listening to someone who says, remember last week we said prophecy could be speaking on behalf of Jesus, or speaking to reveal Jesus. Either way, there's this discernment that's required to say, really? Let me test that and see if that really is. Or let me discern and see if that really is illuminating Jesus, or if it's not. The text that we're going to look at tonight is from 1 Corinthians 12, and we read a couple of verses of it in the New Testament reading, but let me read it, portions of it to you again, and then we'll go a little bit beyond it. Verse 1, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now here he is reminding them of where they've come from. Like, okay, look, before you were Christians, before you believed in Christ, you worshipped other idols, you worshipped other, these weird pagan religions and all that stuff, and I want you to know that you were actually led astray into that. You were influenced. And then he goes on and says, Therefore I tell you, you know, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We, we heard that. We'll skip down to verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There it is. It's for each other. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And it goes through that. Verse 10. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another the distinguishing between spirits. That word for distinguishing between the spirits is the Greek word diakrisis, 
which means a distinguishing or a clear discrimination. It means discerning. It also means judging. It can be used kind of judicially as a judgment that you're coming to a conclusion about something. So, all right, so how do we use this? What does this look like at work? How do we use this gift? I want to give us just um, three things here tonight as we talk about this gift. Very practically to say, all right, how does this work? What does this look like? Why is this important? How does this, you know, why is this a, a part of our Christian life? The first thing we do when we're discerning the Spirit in a situation, you're thinking, well, I don't know, something about this feels funky, or you're, you're, someone's coming up to you and saying, hey, the Lord's telling me to tell you this. What, you know, the first thing you're doing is you're trying to discern the Spirit. And what might be some marks of this? You know, I think some questions, some helpful questions along the way is, look, is this just hype or is this really the Holy Spirit? You know, is this, is this someone ratcheting up a thing and saying, come on, you know, or is the Lord genuinely at work when the music fades and all is stripped away, you know? Uh, is the focus of this person, uh, is, it, is the focus on themselves or is this focus on Jesus? Because we know this, look, I'm trying to discern and what's, help, what's helpful as I'm discerning is, is this helping me see Jesus, or is this helping me see another person? And I know that because we are, we are imperfect vessels, that there are times when, when it gets tainted by ambition, it gets tainted by a little bit of ego, and that doesn't mean you throw everything out. It would be hard to listen to any human messenger. But I think there is this discernment that says, wait a second, am I drinking water that's been overly tainted by the container? You know, you never ever, ever done that, you know, like taking a drink out of a cup that's, and you go, oh, I guess that hadn't been through the dishwasher, I thought it was clean, you know. Like, why does my water taste like dried OJ, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know. And it, in a way, discernment's a little bit like that, you know, someone's offering you a drink and saying, Jesus is telling you this, and you're saying, that does not taste like Jesus at all, you know. It tastes like you, you know, like, you're, you know. I, I think the, the other question that, that's helpful is, is what's the fruit of, of this person's life or this ministry? Is there, ultimately, is there, is there life? Is there the fruit of the Spirit at work? Or uh, is this somebody that's just a good salesman or a good flashy communicator? Uh, we, we have so much that we're bombarded with in the name of Jesus today. So much. On TV, on the radio, in the bookstores, everything in the name of Jesus. It says, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm coming up with this new revelation or this new teaching or this new that. And everybody's got a book to sell, you know. But listen, ultimately what we're wanting to become good at is saying, Holy Spirit, help me to discern. Or is it, it, does this line up with, with what, how Scripture reveals Jesus? Last week we talked about the idea of a mystery versus a puzzle. And the mystery is what the apostles revealed for us, that it's how the scriptures show Jesus. You say, okay, I, I'm trying to be diligent, I'm trying to study this out, and what they're saying doesn't sound like the Jesus of the scriptures. Uh, they're telling me that Jesus is going to give me a Lexus. Should I believe that? No. Okay, and you discern that. But what happens if you discern something, say, at work in your own life? Uh, let's say... You're, 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 you're going through life, you're going through your day, and, you're, and something comes up and you feel like, man, there's, this, there's an inordinately strong temptation drawing me to feel this way or feel this or, or to, to do this thing or that thing. 
And you say, well, man, that, that kind of feels like that's demonic. Like, that's not just a TV show. That's like, there could be something at, at work that's sort of trying to draw me away, you know? This is a good thing to practice even in our homes because, look, I'm not going to tell you what TV shows to watch and not watch, but I just want us to ask the questions. Could it be that there's something spiritual in the wrong way that's at work in the people who made this particular show? Could it be that their subconscious, maybe blatant goal is to encourage lust or greed or whatever in your heart? Could it be that, that there is this, you know, maybe spiritual subplot to lure us away from Jesus and give us false ideas about romance or marriage or all of that? You've got to discern that. And if you discern that, then I think the next thing is to say, okay, let's, let me examine my heart. Because what's drawing me about that? It's not like I'm just kind of walking through and be like, yeah, that's something demonic, you know, but ooh, that, that kind of grabbed a little bit here. You, you have you felt that way before? Okay. And I think the thing to do is to say, okay, let me, let me examine my heart. And here's a great story. Acts 8, verse 9 through 13. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed at all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Okay, here, there it is. You know. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Well, when they believed Philip... As he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed. This is a remarkable conversion. You know, Harry Potter becomes a Christian or whatever. You know, this sorcerer gets saved. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on, the, on of the apostles' hands, so Simon's watching these guys, and he believes, and so now he's following, and he's seeing that the apostles are laying their hands on people, and people are, in some obvious way, showing that they've received the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, oh, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Show me how to do that trick. How much? How much for that? And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord because he will forgive you. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now here's something maybe unexpected. Because we, you know, maybe we think, well, wouldn't it be just easy to just discern the Spirit and then say, I bind you, you know? And we're going to talk about binding and loosing in just a moment because I think that's been misunderstood. But here, the Scriptures kind of show us that, look, maybe what tugs at our hearts is because, maybe the reason it tugs at our hearts is because there's something inside of us that's not quite right. There's a bitterness at work. There's a greed at work. There's a captivity to sin inside of our own hearts. Maybe a way to think about this is, let's say, hypothetically, that you have rats in your garage, okay? And let's say that you spend all your time trying to kill these rats with a BB gun, with mouse traps, whatever, you know, and you're trying to get rid of all your time, you get, get out rats, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. But you ignore the fact that in your garage are some rotten meals, and there's like a leftover, you know, Chinese food, P.F. Chang's carton that's sitting out there kind of open, 
what was Mongolian beef two weeks ago, it looks like something else now, you know, and you've got all the, it's gross, okay, you've got all these cartons of food in your garage, and you're like, man, why do I have all these rats here? Get out, rats! Get out in my name, this is my house! And the rats are like, you got rotten food here, man! I think as, I, don't, I, I personally don't believe as a believer that demons come into us. I'm not suggesting that. But I do think we open ourselves up to demonic activity when we persist in unrepented sin. Okay? And so, it, 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 maybe another picture of this is, is think about an open sore and flies beginning to swarm around it. You can swat flies all day long. Eventually, you've got to treat the wound. And I think that's part of this. If you discern that there's a spirit that, 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 that why, why is it that that just tugs on me? Why is it that it pulls it? So, okay, wait a sec. What, is there a wound in my heart here? Is there a thing here of rejection? Is there a thing here of, of, of unforgiveness? Is there, what's going, because I don't want to just be saying, I, I, let me go to all the spiritual warfare things and let me bind this and take, you know, take authority. And all, you know, when maybe what we need to do is just simply repent. And so you've got to repent of this thing in your heart. You've got to repent of this behavior. You've got to let the Lord in. And, and, and maybe the healing of that wound is not an overnight thing. Maybe it's a journey thing. But it gives us the long view. Because discerning of spirits is not the license to find a shortcut to transformation. Okay, I, I, what we're not saying tonight is discern the spirit and then voila, he'll be changed in a week. Discerning the spirit in some ways might just be the beginning. And then you say, okay, well, Lord, help me go deeper here. What, what's the thing that's, that's triggering it? Does that make sense? The third thing is to speak with authority. Speak with authority in places where you have authority. One of the most um, maybe misunderstood ideas when we talk about spiritual warfare is that it sounds like what we're saying is two kingdoms are at war with one another. The kingdom of light and of darkness, of good and evil, locked in an intergalactic battle. battle. <laughs> now with figurines sold separately, you know. Uh, that's, there's a word for that philosophy, it's called dualism. The belief that good and evil are two equal forces at war in the universe. Dualism was, very, was, was around loads in Paul's day. It was around all the time. Lots of different Greek philosophies represented uh, some version of dualism. In, in fact, they would even take it to the point and say, spiritual things are good, material things are evil. And so you, you would have, um, to some degree, you'd have the Stoics that would say, it doesn't matter what material suffering or physical suffering I endure, because the spiritual thing is all that matters. And then you'd have the Epicureans who would say, well, if the material thing, if matter doesn't matter, then let's party. Because it doesn't matter if I'm getting drunk or getting high or sleeping around or whatever. It doesn't matter because as long as my spirit is pure with God. All of those are versions of dualism. And to be honest, dualism has always tried to find a way into Christianity. Uh, even today, you can think of Christians who kind of say, Oh, I don't want running is the, or, or sports. That's the devil. Prayer is spiritual. Sports is demonic. Remember that part of Jesus taking on skin and becoming human is saying to us, your humanity was originally created good. 
And so the good things we do with our humanity of eating and drinking and enjoying one another's company and all that stuff is meant to be redeemed by the Spirit of God at work in us, not to be cut off. In other words, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it doesn't, it doesn't, being spiritual doesn't mean, well, I guess I'm just not going to do anything fun anymore. I've got to give up hiking and camping and horses and, you know, I just got to, you know, and, 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 and it doesn't mean any of that. What instead it means is now that the Holy Spirit's at work in me, how can I do all those things in a different way, in a better way? It, it, it redeems it. It elevates it. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're not saying matter is evil. That was a bit of a rabbit trail. But we're all, another way that dualism kind of creeps in is this, this idea that God and the devil are locked in this arm wrestling match, and the better we do as the church, whoa, God's winning, you know? And then every time we mess up, oh, the devil's winning, you know? That is not the picture the Bible gives us of this. There is one eternal, uncreated God. And the devil is a fallen, created being. That's it. In fact, George Eldon Ladd, he died in the 60s. He was the professor of New Testament at Fuller Seminary. If you're from a vineyard background, you know the name. George Eldon Ladd, because everybody quoted Ladd, you know, tons. He, he's regarded as one of the mo most brilliant New Testament scholars of the 20th century. He wrote this little book called Gospel of the Kingdom, and he talked in this about how Satan's defeat, yes, in, in Revelations, he talked, let me, here, let me get these verses for you, all right? In Revelations 20, verse 3, we see this picture of Satan being finally bound and cast into the lake. But that's the final destruction, fi the final defeat. There was an initial defeat that already began when Jesus came. And, I, and this is what we forget. Matthew 12, 23 to 29. This is an amazing story. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David, i.e. the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, oh, it's only by Beelzebub, or the devil, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So here Jesus heals this guy, and one group says, he's the Messiah. The Pharisees say, he must be a sorcerer. He must be in, 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 uh, in league with the devil. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? Uh-huh. That's what I'm saying to you. So then, they will be your judges. Well, here it is. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man and then he robs his house? Now, there are three occasions in the New Testament Jesus uses the phrase bind, to bind and loose. Two occasions only where he talks about binding and loosing. Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Matthew 16 is Jesus saying to Peter, you've got this revelation about who I am. Now the keys of the kingdom are given to you. Whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. He's not talking about demons. What he's saying to Peter is, you get to, you get to declare, proclaim to people who's made it in, who's in. You've got the keys of the kingdom. You're the one that says, Congrats, you believe in Jesus, you're in. You receive, you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, you're in. 
Binding and loosing in that, in Matthew 16, is about admission into the kingdom and, and the early apostles' authority to be able to say who, who, who has and who hasn't. Matthew 18 is talking about forgiveness and this idea of, of someone going to someone and confronting them with a the sin and they refuse to repent and says, okay, whoever is bound on earth will already have been bound in heaven, i.e., okay, if they refuse to forgive, they're bound. And so you're saying to them, you're, you're refusing the love and the salvation of God. That's a whole nother sermon in itself. But I'm saying that to say, if you eliminate, if by context you eliminate Matthew 16 and 18 from our charismatic binding and loosing language, then all we're left with is Matthew 12. But in Matthew 12, Jesus is saying, if I'm already driving out these demons, that means the kingdom of God has come. In other words, this, this metaphor that Jesus gives, how can I plunder the strong man's house unless I've already tied him up? Jesus is plundering. He's actively plundering Satan's house on the earth, right? Every time he healed, he's plundering from the strong man's house. Every time he drove out a demon, he was plundering from the strong man's house. Jesus was saying, don't you get it? I've already tied him up. And yes, the final binding will come at the very end when he's bound eternally and cast into the lake of fire. But, and so for now, he stays on earth, but he stays on earth tied up. He may be a roaring lion, but he's a chained one. So uh, this whole idea of saying, okay, I gotta, what's the right prayer I need to read? And you demon of so and such, I bind you. And if I don't say it right, what if I don't bind them correctly? And all this, What we need to realize is they're bound. They're bound. You don't see any of the apostles saying in the book of Acts to demons, I bind you. They don't say that. They just speak with authority. They say, look, stop that. Come out. I command you. Knock it off. Be silent. They're not, I bind you. I bind you. I bind you. Because here again, I think we have this false idea that if we pray hard enough, we can bind a demon. And if we pray with the right language, we can bind a demon. But spiritual authority is not about the right language or the right prayer. What it's about is coming in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus is saying, hey, demons, Satan, spirits, I just want to remind you, remember when Jesus came? Remember how he bound you up? Remember what's coming, that when Jesus comes again, he's going to bind you up for good? So I'm coming in that same name. Oh, dang. So coming in the name of Jesus is not about a special incantation to pray like a rosary or a certain prayer. No, 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 no. Coming in the name of Jesus means I'm, I'm coming in Jesus' same authority. That I'm saying, look, I'm a member of this kingdom. I'm part of this kingdom. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I belong to Jesus. And so stop that. Get away from my home. Don't touch them anymore. Don't torment them. Don't put these thoughts in your... You see how it works? It's not about, oh, what if I don't, what if I don't pray the right prayer? And what if I don't pray long enough? And what if, I, yeah. if you're in Jesus, you can speak in Jesus' name. That's it. Tonight, as we wrap this up, what we're looking to become is mature believers. We're trying to grow up in Christ. And though Satan is a defeated foe, he's trying everything he can for these last, however long he has, to lead us away from Christ.
I am realizing how that happens in so many small ways. That if we, all we have is our only grid for our decisions is moral code, we're in trouble. Because what it means to be a follower of Jesus is it means we're following Jesus. I want to be close to Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not after a moral code. I'm not after just, well, well, just help me do the right thing. What's technically right? Now that I'm a Christian, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? No, no, no. I want to know. I want to discern. Wait, wait a second. Is this the Spirit of God at work drawing me to Jesus? Or is this some other kind of spirit, maybe even just my own, that's drawing me away from Him? I, I would urge you to, to think through the decisions of inputs, Okay. Think, think in terms of that category, the, 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 the category of inputs in your life. What are the voices, the media, the context, the stuff that we allow in? Because some may be innocent and harmless and whatever, but some may be more insidious than that. And the gift of discernment is absolutely necessary if we want to grow up in maturity with Christ. If we want to live as babies and have someone tell us what we can and can't do and give us rules, yeah, you can do that for a little while. If we want to grow up and really become like Jesus, there's only one spirit who's going to do that in you. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are not left as orphans in this world, in this life. Oh, we have your Holy Spirit with us. Lord, make us diligent in our study of the Scriptures. Make us diligent in trying to see the picture of Jesus that Scripture presents for us. Even be, and so that so that when your Holy Spirit prompts us and nudges us, we can recognize that it's you. And so that when other things are pulling on our hearts and leading us away from Jesus, we can recognize that too. I pray that you set us free from the legalism and the bondage of what's right and what's wrong and what's technically allowed and what's technically... I pray you set us free from all of that bondage of that way of thinking. But Holy Spirit, work in us to make some decisions in our lives, maybe about the shows that we watch, maybe about the relationships that we have, maybe about the decisions that we make, whatever the areas in our lives are, help us to make bold, courageous, radical decisions simply because we want the Holy Spirit to work in us. I want to be like Jesus. I want to follow Him. I want to become like Him. I want to love Him. I want to recognize Him. God, do Your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's thank God. Well, next week we're going to talk about tongues, the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Aaron, Pastor Aaron Stern is going to be here with us to talk that through. He's taught that many, many times at our college and 20-somethings group, and so it's going to be a wonderful talk. Um, Please help stack chairs on your way out. And then if you're interested at all in this marriage small group, please go to that table at the back and and, uh, get a little flyer on it. And, And then if you're new, come see us there as well. Okay, God bless you. Have a great week.